0: Hi, I'm Jim Calloway.
1: And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 47th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology.
0: Today, our topic is the Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Word 2010. Our guest is Ben Shore, our friend, colleague, and frequent co-speaker. He is the CEO of Roland Shore and Tower, an IT consulting firm. And as noted, he is the author of the recently published Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Word 2010. Welcome, Ben. Hi guys, it's uh, great to be back with you. Let's start with the fundamental question. What's new in Microsoft Word
2: 2010? Well, Word 2010 is, is really more of an evolution than a revolution. Uh, Word 2007 was quite a bit different from Word 2003. I think Word 2010 builds on Word 2007 rather than trying to reinvent it. In Word 2010, some of the new things you're gonna see, there, there is an improved ribbon We've added the, the, uh, the backstage functionality. There are 32 and 64-bit versions of, of uh, Office 2010 now. That's new. Also, uh, something that's going to appeal to lawyers, there are some new numbering formats. I know lawyers use paragraph and, and line numbering quite a lot. And there are some new numbering formats. If you happen to have SharePoint 2010, there's a collaborative editing capability where you can be editing a document at the same time as another person, and you can actually see their edits at the same time they see yours. Which is uh, kind of interesting in, in certain rare scenarios. Also, for very long documents, for example, 270-page books on Word 2010, there's a, a, an excellent document navigator and search capability, which helps you move up and down through the book uh, or through the through the document. The uh, and one of my favorite features, which is actually not a new feature, but it's new because now it works. In previous last couple versions, <laughs> it was broken is uh, Shift-F5. If you've never tried that, open a document sometime in Word 2010 and try it, and you'll probably go, wow, that's cool.
1: Now, come on, tell us what it does.
2: <laughs> you want me to ruin the surprise? Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> what sh- what, what Shift-F5 will do is take you back to the last place you were editing. Oh, so that's cool. If you were working on a long document and you left off on page 71 somewhere, you can uh, come back the next morning, reopen the document, press Shift-F5, it'll jump you right back to page 71. The other thing that where that works pretty nicely is if you've ever had the experience of working on a document and you either intentionally or accidentally page up or page down several times to look at something else, you can shift F5 to immediately go back to where you were editing.
1: Yeah, that's very it's, cool. It's, I, I can see where that would be very useful.
2: It's pretty neat. Shift F5 within an open document has always worked, but shift F5 with a document that you closed that uh, was actually broken in Word 2007, so if you open the document and shift F5, it wouldn't do anything. Um, but in Word 2010, that works again now, so I, I'm a big fan of that one.
1: You you mentioned Backstage, and not for the first or last time in my life, I am completely clueless. What is Backstage? I, I have no idea what that is.
2: Well, if you remember in Word 2007, th- there was no file menu. We, we introduced the ribbon with Word 2007, and the file menu, along with all the other menus, went away. And instead, you had that big circular button at the top left corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was officially called the office button, but we tended to call it the pizza button because it sort of looked like a big pizza. The, the problem was that most people didn't know what actually was a button. Uh, they just thought it was a big logo. And they couldn't figure out where all the stuff that was on the file menu were, uh, you know, little things like print and <laughs> save. And so you, you couldn't find where those things had gone off to. Well, they were all under the office button. And uh, so when you when you clicked on or when you first installed Office 2007, that the Office button used to would pulse at you uh, until you clicked on it one time and opened the menu, and that was just to try to get you to discover that it was actually a button; it wasn't just decorative. <laughs> well, lesson learned: the the Office button was a bad idea; uh, it didn't work out so well. And so what they've done is in Word 2010, the Office button's gone, and now there is a File menu again. It's actually a File tab on the ribbon. But it's different from all the other tabs. When you clicked on the file tab on the ribbon in Office 2010, you'll get what we call Backstage. And Backstage contains all of those wonderful things that you used to have on the file menu. Uh, For example, print, save, open, send. Print preview, which is now automatic. When you go to the print tab, it automatically generates a print preview. All the metadata information, like when the document was last printed, that sort of stuff. That's all back in what we call backstage. That's also where the options uh, have gone to. You to a tool options to control all the settings in the program. That's all backstage.
0: Well, that's very interesting. I can see. I like the name of that for unusual for me for Microsoft products. Sometimes, <laughs> now, they did uh, let the
2: marketing guys get a hold of that one, I think.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I think all of the users of Word would like to know the one simple question, did they fix or improve the ribbon?
2: Well, um, mostly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, not entirely, but mostly. The, the the ribbon is now pervasive through all the products, uh, including Outlook and OneNote. You may remember in, in 2007, uh, Outlook only had the ribbon in the in the inspect windows and not the explorer window, and OneNote didn't have the ribbon at all. They've, uh, so now the ribbon is throughout the whole suite. Uh, they also, re- as I mentioned, replaced the old faded office button with Backstage. And in response to probably the biggest request, the ribbon is now at least somewhat customizable. That was a, that was the big one. Everybody hated that you couldn't customize the ribbon. So, the, But there's three things they still really haven't quite addressed with the ribbon. Maybe in the next version they will. The first one is that you can add items to the ribbon, but only in a limited way, which is to say that you can only add them if you create a new group on the ribbon or an entirely new tab on the ribbon. Then you can add items there. You can't add items to the existing groups. You can, you can exa- the, the groups are the little sub uh, groups of commands that are within a tab. So if you're on a tab, you'll see four or five or six groups from left to right. So you can add a custom group to an existing tab, but you can't uh, add items to an existing group. So that's one thing. Also, you can't remove any of the standard items. So you can't go into the uh, to the ribbon and, and start removing stuff out of the out of the one out of the tabs that are there or the groups that are there. Uh, and that's for supportability. One of the big things that led to the ribbon or one of the big design decisions with the ribbon was to try to make it as standard as possible. And again, that's why they didn't allow any customization in the 2007 version. It's because when a support person goes to tell you how to you know, do something in the product, they need to know that that button is exactly where it's supposed to be, because otherwise it's very difficult to navigate somebody around the program when the interface can change dramatically. So you can you can add items, but only in a limited way. The second item they didn't address is you can't break off and redock the ribbon. The old toolbar is one of the features people liked, is that you could pull a toolbar off the top and dock it to the left side of the screen, or the bottom, or the right, or even have it float over the top. Uh, if you wanted to. You still can't do that with the ribbon. And the third item that, that has recently started to get some some requests from customers is uh, that the QAT, the quick access toolbar that's at the top where you can add and remove any commands you want, it's a little small. And, you know, some of our, shall we say, vision-challenged customers are are uh, concerned about the tiny icons on the QAT. That's a little hard to see. So that may, that's another item that might get addressed in the next version, as far as the ribbon goes.
1: Well, being one of those Vision Challenge customers, I hope so. <laughs> I'm hearing that they, they fixed the ribbon, sort of. Did they fix the licensing, sort of?
2: <laughs> yeah, sort of. Uh, it is better than it used to be. It used to be there were 733 different versions uh Actually, I think there were only eight, but it seemed like 733. And you had to figure out if you wanted office, you know, home and student, or if you wanted office, you know, dogs and cats, or, you know, you had all the different uh, different versions of office to figure out. Now there's only three suites available at retail and uh, two for volume license customers. Uh, so for the retail versions, the stuff you can walk into Best Buy or somewhere and just get, there's uh, office, home and student. Now, uh, for our audience, you don't want office, home and student. And the reason you don't want Office Home and Student is no Outlook. That was a, people used to, and I I know we've all seen this, it used to be in the old days people would go buy the, the Home and Student version, which back then I believe was called Student and Teacher or something like that, because it was only $99. And so they'd buy that version for their, for their office, even though technically it wasn't supposed to be used for that. Well, Microsoft got smart to that. They realized that what most businesses want is Outlook plus Word, of course, and Excel. And so they took Outlook out of the Home and Student version of the suite. So there's no no Outlook in there. The next version up from that is called Office Home and Business. That's going to be a pretty good choice for most business customers. It's got Word, Excel, PowerPoint, OneNote, which is now in every suite. Every version of Office 2010 has OneNote in it. But Office Home and Business has all that stuff, plus it has Outlook. And then the top of the line version that you can buy at retail is called Office Professional, which has all the stuff the home and business suite has in it, plus it has access and publisher. Some law firms are going to want access. Maybe a few will want publisher. Uh, I'm not sure how many really will. The two suites for the volume license guys are called Office Standard, which is basically all of the office, home, and business plus, plus publisher, and then Office Professional Plus, which is the, the big grand granddaddy suite that has pretty much everything in it. Now, one comment I want to make, uh, there's also an Office Starter that you may see, especially if you're ordering from your OEM, if you're calling Dell or somebody like that and you order a machine, uh, it may come with Office Starter on it. Uh, don't be fooled into thinking Office Starter is Office. Uh, office Starter is Office the way Outlook Express was Outlook.
1: Uh, <laughs> office Starter
2: is, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's an unfortunate uh, choice of name, um, but uh, Office Starter is basically what used to be Microsoft Works. It's a, it's a very limited functionality version of Word and a very limited functionality version of Excel, and that's it. So uh, don't, don't, uh, don't be too content with Office Starter for most of you, I think. One other thing I wanted to mention, and, it, and it's a mistake I see firms make all the time, is don't buy the OEM version of Office, uh, which is to say when you go to buy your new machine from Dell, most firms should not buy Office with their machine. Uh, It seems like it would be a good deal, and it seems like it's really convenient, but the thing is, that's an OEM license, and the OEM license is locked to that machine, and that means if two years from now, you decide you're going to replace that machine and buy a new machine, but you still want to use Office 2010, you have to buy Office 2010 all over again. You can't move it from the old machine. Also, if that machine just dies and has to be replaced, again, you can't move it from the old machine. Unless your vendor is going to give you a new copy of Office with the, new, with the replacement machine for free, you're going to have to buy a new copy of Office. Uh, the last little interesting trick here is that the OEM version I mentioned is locked to that one machine. Now, if you go buy a uh, copy of Office retail at you know Best Buy or Amazon or whatever your particular retail vendor is, the version you get can not only be moved from machine to machine if you replace the machine, But if you're a user that has two machines, so for example, you have a desktop machine and you have a a laptop of some kind or a a netbook, you can actually install the same license of Office on the desktop and the portable machine as long as they both have the same primary user. So for example, if Jim had a desktop and Sharon had a laptop, you couldn't do that. You couldn't use the same license on both. But Jim, if you've got a desktop and a laptop, you can use the same license of Office on both.
1: Is that, is, is that version. the first time they've done that, Ben?
2: No, it's been that way for a while, but most people don't read the fine. I know you're all lawyers. You should be, you, you all read these agreements very carefully. Oh, absolutely.
1: Uh, <laughs> but yes.
2: people, as it turns out, most people actually don't read those agreements very carefully. And so you don't have to, which is another thing. If you're buying a laptop and a desktop, you, you know, as long as you get the retail license, you don't have to buy Office for both. And the volume license is actually a much better deal. It's uh, it's, it's marginally, depending on the pricing, and their pricing is competitive, but if you have, you know, at least five machines in your office, if you buy the volume license, again, you get to install on a desktop and a laptop, and that only counts as one license as long as it's the same primary user, and you can move them from machine to machine. You only have one license to maintain. It's a, it's a much better deal. Now, if you, you have to have a minimum of five licenses, but what they don't always tell you is that it doesn't have to be five licenses of the same thing. I have a client who has only three machines in their office. They want a volume license. They bought three licenses of Microsoft Office and two licenses of Microsoft Streets and Trips, which is only $10, I think. They don't care about Streets and Trips, it's shelfware for them, but that got them to the five license count so they could buy a volume license.
0: So that's pretty interesting. Well, now that you've made all of our listeners salivate to buy the product, why don't you tell us uh, any special hardware requirements to run Office 2010?
2: Actually, no, not really. The, uh, the hardware requirements are pretty lean it only requires a 500 megahertz or faster processor and honestly if you could still find a 500 megahertz processor you're you're better than I am cuz they're they're long since archived for most people for ram curiously microsoft tends to really underestimate the amount of ram you want uh, curiously enough the minimum requirement for ram for office standard 2010 is 256 megs that's the minimum 512 megs recommended by microsoft personally i would recommend 2 gigs You can do it in less, obviously, but you'll be happiest with two gigs or more of RAM. Uh, The one thing that you do have to be aware of is that just like Office 2007, Office 2010 does have a fairly hefty hard drive requirement. You need to have at least three gigs of available hard hard drive space to install it.
1: Now that there are 32 and 64-bit versions, which one should a lawyer choose?
2: Uh, Well for Windows, they should choose 64-bit because it supports larger memory configurations and it's faster and more stable. But for Microsoft Office, you almost all want the 32-bit version. And the 32-bit version will run just fine on the 64-bit version of Windows. You don't have to worry about that. The reason you want the 32-bit version instead of the 64-bit version is that um, a lot of Office add-ins, you know, a lot of you may be running add-ins that integrate with your document management system or your time and billing system, or you're running just sort of productivity add-ins like Zobni or things like that. A lot of the add ins don't work in the 64 bit version. They have to be written specifically for the 64 bit version. And so you almost always want the 32 bit version. And really, the 64 bit version is only beneficial if you're working in extremely large documents or have extremely large Outlook or Excel data sets. Otherwise, the 32 bit version is perfectly fine. Well, that's a great tip. Now, what's the biggest
0: mistake that you see attorneys make when they use Microsoft Word?
2: Well, As you know, attorneys love to reuse documents and probably the biggest mistake i see cuz we get called about this almost every week is uh, attorneys who reuse a document and then accidentally save over the old version and then they call us in a panic and say help can i get that old one back cuz that was a different client's will or you know something and they've just saved over it the, the answer to that is is if you really insist on reusing active documents is to make is that when you first open that document press f12 and do a save as to give your document and give your document a new name right away before you do anything at all. Then work in that newly saved document. Really a better solution is to use templates. If you've got a doc, uh, you know a will or a previous brief or something that you really like and you want to reuse over and over, make a copy of that, take out all the personal identifiable information and, and then save it as a read-only file so that it's a template and then you can start your, every new document from that one and you'll have to save it with a new name. Uh, or you could use document assembly software like Hot Docs or something like that to, to make it a little easier.
1: Well, I certainly agree. That's that's the mistake we see all the time, too. And, and I know you agree, Ben, as uh, probably Jim, too, that most attorneys use only a, a fraction of the features of, of Word. But what's the one feature that you wish they would use more?
2: Oh, that's an easy one. Styles. I, I, I get clients emailing me broken documents all the time to fix, and in almost every case – it's because they didn't use styles properly. Uh, if they had just done that, it would it would have solved so many problems. If you've ever sent a long document for review and had it come back with the comment that, you know, all the section headings should be Calibri 11 point instead of Times Roman 12. Uh, well, if you've used styles, you can change the entire document in moments. On the other hand, if you've not used styles, if you've manually used what we call direct formatting on those headings, you're going to have to page through that entire document and manually change the formatting, which could be tedious at best. And then you have to proofread it three times to make sure you didn't accidentally miss a style on page 51 (laughs) or miss a heading. I got an email from ABA when I was finishing up the word book asking me to generate a table of contents for it. The the book is 265 pages long, so it would have taken an awful long time if I had manually done all of my headings. It actually took me less than 30 seconds to generate the table of contents for my 265-page book because I use styles in my formatting. Done. Paragraph numbering is something that attorneys use a lot, and doing it with styles makes it a lot more easy or a lot easier and a lot more reliable. So styles is definitely uh, the one feature that I think every attorney should get familiar with. Well, Ben, we're running close to uh, getting out of time. So, what's the pricing for uh, Office 2010? Well, the home and student version, which I recommend you don't buy, is 149 bucks. If you go up from there, though, the home and business version, which is probably a good one for attorneys to purchase, that would be uh, 279.99. That's the Microsoft price. If you go on Amazon.com, by the way, you can often find 10, 15, 20 dollars cheaper prices on a lot of these. Office Professional, which is the big boy at the retail, is 499.99. Uh, so the most anybody's going to pay for office is 500 bucks. Then for the volume licensing we talked about, the, the standard volume licensing is right around 370 to $375 a seat. Uh, again, that gives you a, a little bit more than the office home and business does plus the manageability advantages.
1: One of the things I love about your books, Ben, is that they're all written in plain English so that even the technophobic lawyers, of which there are so many, can understand them. And, of course, your keen wit is often evident, which means we get the added benefit of laughter along the way. So can you tell our listeners how they would uh, purchase your book?
2: Absolutely. The, uh, the best way to get it at the moment is to go to the ABA bookstore. That's it. Uh, online at ababooks.com.
1: Thank you, Ben. I know you always give us all kinds of useful information and tips, and we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and with our Digital Edge listeners. We very much appreciate your being our guest.
2: Thanks so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys.
1: And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology.
0: Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Ms. Sharon.
1: Happy trails, cowboy.